Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. Our discussion for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, and more. My name is Christine McClellan, and I am the Pharmacy Clinical Coordinator and PGY1 Pharmacy Residency Program Director at Emerson Hospital in Concord, Massachusetts. And I will be your host today for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. With me today are Dr. Javon Oliver, Manager of Perioperative Pharmacy Services at Mass General Hospital. Dr. Oliver's practice interests include leadership, pharmacy automation, inpatient operations, pharmacy practice advancement, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Also joining us is Dr. Melissa Ortega, Director of Outpatient Pharmacy Services at Tufts Medical Center. Dr. Ortega's practice interests include pharmacy leadership, diversity, equity, and inclusion, ambulatory practice, and practice advancement. Let's get started talking about today's topic, which is delegation, the art of letting go. As we grow in our careers as pharmacy leaders, delegation really becomes an essential job function. You know, in order to be able to handle all the requests that we receive daily, we have to delegate tasks to other members of our team. We just really don't have the bandwidth to be able to give 100% in order to get all the work done that needs to be completed. Some tasks and projects are easy to delegate, but sometimes even for seasoned leaders, delegating effectively is not always that simple. It's possible as leaders that we may feel experiences of loss, we might feel like we're giving up or that we're not trying our best or working to our full potential if we have to delegate to others. As leaders, we often take a lot of pride in the work that we do and we might worry that others might not see us as being as strong as we used to be or delegation might be viewed as a weakness if we're not tough enough to do all the work ourselves. Many times we are assigned tasks that we want to complete ourselves because that project or that task is in our realm of expertise or in our area of passion. It is important as leaders that if we don't fail to let go, we might fall into the trap of overmanaging and underleading. I am very excited to begin our podcast discussion with our podcast participants. In today's podcast, we are going to discuss three common scenarios that can come up around delegation. These are delegating to a peer, up delegation, and delegating laterally. I'm going to ask Javon and Melissa to comment on a scenario that I will present, and they can either talk about that scenario or use that scenario as a springboard to introduce their own related experiences. First, we're gonna talk about delegating to a direct report, which seems straightforward enough. I'm going to use the following example. You have a project that has been successful under your own leadership and is in a clinical interest area that you are passionate about, but it's time to pass it along to someone else. Your star performers are all busy with other projects and you have one employee that has lots of experience but often needs a lot of coaching. You are hesitant to delegate to this person because their work tends to be sloppy and sometimes they miss deadlines. So how do you effectively delegate without doing the work yourself and working through these feelings of letting go. Melissa, we'll start with you. Yeah, I'm happy to start us off and thank you for having me. So I'm gonna start off um, with just really reinforcing um, some points that you made in the introduction. 
I think as leaders, it's really, really important for us to know that we cannot do everything. So the fact is that delegation doesn't just reduce our workload as a leader, but most importantly, we can use delegation to really help develop our employees and demonstrate how we trust our subordinates. And I think when we think about the type of leader we are, there's different styles um, that we use in different scenarios. And you mentioned something um, and stated coaching um, leadership style. And I think this is really important because this displays that you're not, um, when delegating, you should not be having an autocratic leadership style, so making decisions, but you're leaning more towards coaching an individual and really bringing out the best in that person. And I think an effective leader really empowers, encourages, and inspires their team members to do great work. So when I think about this scenario that you stated, you know, here we have an individual that um, is not performing the task as expected. The first thing that comes to mind are two key questions. Um, and those questions are, is this individual committed to completing the task? Um, and is this individual competent to complete the task? I always start with the committed piece because this is where I think as leaders um, and, and managers that we really need to understand um, why that individual might not be as engaged. And if they are engaged, then you're going to the next phase of, okay, they're still not meeting my expectation and why is that? Do they not have the knowledge, the skills or the resources? So it kind of lends your coaching style in a different way. If that individual is not committed, then it challenges you as a leader to really inspire them, to help them understand why this task is important. Maybe to challenge yourself as a leader to understand what it motivates them and what's important to them and to help them connect the dots so that you can really shift them to being committed and then it sounds like, particularly with this scenario, many years of experience, it sounds like they're competent. So that will then help them to succeed. Javon, do you have something that you'd like to add to what Melissa contributed? Yes, of course. Thank you, Christine. So as Melissa stated, I'm really excited to be here and to talk about these three different types of delegation as well. And it's funny, when you pose this scenario, the first person that came to mind in this particular example was myself. Not myself right now, but my past self. So um, when I think back to my residency experience, um, again, I did a health system pharmacy administration residency. I think back to my performance during my first year where, um, as Melissa stated, there's two questions that she normally asks about this particular scenario. One is the individual commit and two, are they not committed and just not performing well? So when I think back to my experiences at that time, I was not meeting deadlines, was not doing well, was maybe looked at as one of the more lower performers on my residency within my residency class. So when I started my rotation with my residency program director, the first thing that he said to me during that experience was, Javon, I know you have the talent. I know it's in there and I'm going to fix you during these next six weeks. So what he did during that meeting is he told me he was going to be push, push me past my limits and show me how effective I could be. And when I think about what he did is he coached me and he also modeled for me because I think my issue at the time is um, I lacked sort of prioritization. And I also did not have a good method for time management. And although I wanted to get everything done, I just often 
sometimes lacked motivation and would easily miss deadlines. So what he coached me to do is he said, Javon, you have to see the person behind the deadline, the person behind the project. And because relationships and people are something that mean a lot to me. So when I sort of changed my framework and changed my mindset to not just think of my projects as something on my task list that I have to get done. And if I don't get it done, it's not that big of a deal. I had to take a step further and say, all right, this is my list. And behind each of these particular tasks, there is a person tied to this. And if I miss one task, that's letting someone down who I then may have to run into in the hallway and just, you know, see that look of disappointment on their face if I don't get something done. So that experience from his coaching and also him modeling the behavior that he used, it helped me find passion in all that I do and provided the skill set that I needed to use to catch myself if I ever found myself reverting back to those innate habits that I've worked to use throughout my career and even now. And also, if I find residents or students that I precept that had similar issues as I did back when I was earlier in my career. So this experience overall taught me how to make sure expectations are clear when delegating projects as my director did to me and also to create urgency or get the person that's working on the project really excited about what they're working to get done and to always make sure that I'm thinking of the person behind the project to motivate myself to get things accomplished. So I thank my director to this day. I use these, uh, this I tell the story all the time to students when they're on my rotation. And I always think about what he taught me what, moving forward with whatever project that I'm working on. And Javon, you reminded me, um, you brought up such an important piece of um, maybe from the flip side as a leader, the importance of providing clear expectations and also modeling behavior. I know as a, a new manager, I delegated a task and um, that individual met the outcome in, in a different way. Um, just to tell you a little bit about this story, I think this, this is also important as we're delegating to always self-reflect as leaders on what you can do better as you're setting expectations and maybe modeling behaviors and setting up individuals for success. Um, particular in this scenario, um, I was really excited um, two years in within, I think I was actually a year in within my first job as central pharmacy manager. And I'm so excited to be part of interdisciplinary environmental rounds to prep for joint commission. And we were walking around the central pharmacy and our, um, within the stock room, we actually had boxes that didn't meet that requirement of an 18 inch clearance. And my team members and colleagues um, understood the, the importance of us being complying with joint commission regulations. You know, I asked them for us to meet the 18 inch clearance, but I didn't really provide them or coach them with clear directions or understood what their thought process was. So we, we met uh, the requirement. It wasn't as simple as taking off the boxes. They actually took it a step further and removed the wheels from the that were able to move. And we, we didn't come to find this out until we had a flood in Central Pharmacy. And I'm five feet two and I moved all those racks by myself into that stock room. And all of a sudden I needed help to really clear the stock room out. So sometimes I think as, as we're delegating, and this is a little bit of a funny story, but I think it's um, a good reminder of the importance of also, you know, if you have an individual that's not meeting your expectations or outcomes to really self-reflect on how you can be a better leader and maybe self-reflect on your coaching skills um, before necessarily thinking it's, it's the individual that you're delegating to. That's great. Thank you both so much for sharing uh, those experiences. I think what I heard repeated throughout when you were talking was this idea of coaching and really making sure your employee feels empowered and that they feel inspired and that they understand the expectations of 
what you are looking for when you are asking them to complete a task. And Javon, I just want to highlight, I thought it was great how you talked about your uh, mentor, you know, asking you who's on the other end of the task, right? You know, why, why are we, do, why are being, why are we being asked to do this and, and who's the outcome for? So I, I think that's a great important point and a take home point for our listeners. Thank you. So I'm going to move on to our second scenario. And so in our second scenario, you have delegated uh, completion of a report to someone who works for you. However, over time, you find that this employee really isn't making much progress and you're really getting the sense that they are waiting on you to do their work for them. And so sometimes this can occur when employees are afraid to take risks, they might lack confidence, uh, they might fear criticism or lack the resources to even be able to get their, their job done. So I'd like to ask you both, um, what tactics or strategies you know, do you use to avoid having your employees delegate up? And, and how do you manage these situations? Christine, I'll go ahead and take that one. I think this is something that I had to learn how to navigate becoming a person fresh out of, out of residency and being, you know, being responsible for a team of 20 to 25 people. I think as a new manager, when you come into a job, you want to get everything done and do it yourself and show your team that you can be super effective, um, that you know, your boss hired the right person to lead that team. And up to a certain point, you find out, oh, shoot, I actually cannot do all this work myself. So how can I start delegating some things to my staff? But I think if you come in and you start solving everyone's problems as they're given to you, I think your staff may come to expect or those that you are supervising come to expect for you to do everything for them. So at a certain point, I sort of had to shift that mindset with my team. So now if one of the tactics that I use, and I, I used to get really frustrated when someone did this to me in residency or when my boss does this to me now, but what happens is you bring a problem or, or a situation to your boss or the person that you're reporting to or working with. And then that person sits there and, and, and instead of saying, oh, I'll take that on, they start to asking you a bunch of questions back. So you say, hey, Javon, um, I realize, you know, there's this issue in the pharmacy. What do you think we can do about that? And the first question that I've started to ask back now was, what do you think we can do about that? <laughs> and, they, you know, that frustrates people at first. But when you ask that question back, they say, well, I think we could do this or I think we could do that. And I say, all right, well, let's take option one. So what tools or materials do you think we need to make option one happen? And then the person goes, oh, well, if we, were considered, if we were to consider option one, we would need this, 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 and that. And then I say, okay, well, if we do go down considering option one, what are some of the things we think we need to look out for or be concerned about if we do move forward with option one? And they go, oh, well, if option one happens, you know, we got to worry about this, 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 and this. Then I say, great. It sounds like we have a good project plan that we have just established from this conversation. So um, I was taking some notes here, and hopefully you were taking some notes as well. And it sounds like the problem was this. Um, we can pursue option one or option two. If we pursue option one, you're going to need these things. If we pursue option two, you're going to need, you're going to need these tools and materials to get it done. And these are the things that we need to be worried about and maybe beat up front to make sure that we can option one can be successful and option two can be successful. And often when I've used that strategy, again, I used to hate this. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm coming to you with the problem. You need to fix this for me. Please stop asking me questions. But when, after the conversation, once the person that's leading the discussion does a solid recap of what happened, you say, oh, you just kind of made this project for me. I think I can get this done, but because you've addressed all of my concerns, concerns I didn't even know that I had. So although I think that sort of tactic can be super frustrating at first, once your team realizes that you are there to listen to them. I don't know the answers to everything. And oftentimes you are working in this area every single day. You're going to know more answers and more possible solutions than I will. My job is to be a bridge 
to help you fix the problem and give you the tools and materials needed and then to escalate when appropriate and communicate the status to you if it's something that I truly have to do, but if it's something that I think my staff can do, I just need to make sure that I do whatever I can in my power to make sure that that they're successful. So my team, are they're pretty used to that now, and we have working discussions all the time during our team huddles. And then if, if folks disagree, I think I've gotten pretty good at saying, all right, I'm hearing some disagreements now. Let's maybe you and you, let's meet after this to, to come together to see what, what possible solution we can um, have. And then Another thing that I found pretty successful is giving your team the time to do some of these things because, you know, they're all sort of frontline staff members taking care of patients or in an operational area taking care of patients, and they may not be able to get all the work done while doing their job. So trying to allocate some project time for your team to help get some of these things done. And then to back to your original example, you know, someone can just be waiting on you, waiting on you to get it done. I try to alleviate that fear of them being scared to approach me with say, hey, Javon, we talked about this five weeks ago, nothing's happened. I'm like, oh, I was waiting on you. So I think going back to our first scenario, clear expectations and clear communication, supporting your team, making them see you as a bridge would eventually alleviate the scenarios um, that you talked about. And honestly, is a good way for future leaders um, and, and current leaders like myself to continue to manage that sort of scenario as it comes to us. Javon, I'd like to ask you, do you think it's the act of asking the questions that helps or is it that your uh, employees feel that you're actively listening or both? I think, it, I think it's both, right? Because if someone is just asking you questions because they don't want to hear from you, I think you can easily see that because you, maybe they're asking you the same question twice or you've repeated your answer twice and they're still asking questions that you've already answered. So that, that doesn't make sense. So for me, um, I think it's the act of asking questions and then me active, actively listening and then following up and giving them what they said that they needed to make this happen. So if they need time, I try to schedule project time on the schedule for them to get it done. If they need access to some sort of resource, I make that happen. So I, I would say the, the, a person has to, but if you can't passively listen and just ask questions to be asking, because I think then your employees come to you, they know you're just going to ask a bunch of questions, but then nothing's going to happen. They don't feel supported. And then the issue at hand doesn't get fixed. So you have to ask the questions and then also follow up with what you said you were going to do for your team. Yeah, and I would uh, take this a step further too, Javon. Very nice examples on beautiful coaching style. So bravo. I think what's also um, really important to note is, you know, at times you are going to have to delegate up. And I think um, if you are an individual put in that scenario and, and you are needing to delegate a task, I'm really understanding whether that's appropriate or not. And part of that is understanding whether you're you're dumping or delegating, right? Um, and it, it seems it's very much an art, but it's important to, to really, as you're asking the question or asking for support and help, that you are showing effort of um, really taking that task a step forward. And it goes back to clear and concise communication of, you know, this is what I've done um, thus far to really move forward this task. This is where I think I need your help or your expertise or your connections. And this is the deadline that I am bumping up against in order to accomplish whatever the goal is. And I know when uh, my team members have used that with me, and I, I tend to use that framework with my boss, um, it really helps provide a clear, concise way of communicating how they can support me or even with my direct reports on how I can support them. And it also helps me manage my time because they're clear on what their deadlines are. 
Um, I think, Javon, your point about really creating that environment where um, individuals that report to you feel comfortable in um, pinging you or communicating with you. I know um, we all have an appreciation for how busy everyone is. I know my pharmacists have quite a bit of a patient panel and are providing direct patient care more than eight hours a day. And um, when they do request something and they understand that I have other priorities, um, but we commit to a communication of reminders and we've created that environment that we're okay with that. And I think that also helps us keep us honest um, and uh, we really understand um, how we can collaborate together to, to reach our overall goal. And Melissa, if I may, I just wanted to, if it's okay, Christine, add two quick points to that. Um, um, when it comes to managing up, one of, the, one of the things that I found successful with my team and also me managing up to my boss is having that established relationship. Like my team knows how to come to me, I know how to come to my boss. And then two, I think it's adapting your working style and your communication style. So I don't communicate like every single person on my team or work like every single person on my team, the same with my boss. Like for example, I'd rather, you know, just talk about something, have an in-person conversation, but I do know the person that I report to the best way to approach it is maybe send an email, allow that person to think about it, and then have like a follow-up conversation to talk about it too. That will allow them to dive into each of the details and then maybe will allow for a more thoughtful discussion so they can better support me versus me just wanting a quick decision. Like, let's just get this done when um, he may unlift more issues than what I initially came to him with. And, you know, of course, allows for more project completion, but it's, it's important to adapt the way you work and your communication style with the person that you're reporting to, to allow for a more effective working relationship. That's great. Those were wonderful uh, examples that you provided and methods to, for our listeners to be able to employ. A couple of things that really resonated with me was this idea that employees in the end will feel safe and comforted, right? So, you know, your interactions with them allow for them to, to feel that you're there supporting them and this idea that you're a bridge for them to help them get to, to the goal. And really being able to differentiate between dumping and delegating is super important. So thank you both for sharing all of that. I am gonna move on to our third scenario, uh, which is peer-to-peer -peer delegation. Um, so in this example, you are, as hypothetical example, you are the clinical manager leading a multidisciplinary team. And in this project, the team is transitioning from, let's say, heparin PTT monitoring to heparin anti-10A monitoring at your facility. And so this project really requires lateral delegation. So you're working with other managers that are in other departments, such as nursing, lab, informatics. You're responsible for setting up the meetings. You're responsible for making sure everyone else um, on this project team gets their projects done. But these people don't report to you. They don't work in your department. Um, so, you know, how do you delegate with peers? Um, and how do you keep these types of projects on track? Melissa, would you like to start and talk about an experience or a project where you had to work through peer-to-peer -peer delegation? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, definitely on, on my experience, this is pretty much my, my everyday, right? There's, there's not much you can accomplish by yourself. So I think really understanding um, what skills it takes to collaborate with others, whether, whether it's within your department or um, individuals outside your department is imperative uh, for you to be a successful leader. 
And there's a couple things that uh, I know that I've found successful in the past. And I think specifically when you are considered either a project manager, project lead, or a lead in a work group, committee, task force, whatever it may be, it's really important in the beginning to um, establish a mutual sense of the goal you're going to accomplish and also make it really clear what everyone's roles and responsibilities within that group is. And also where you value their expertise. Like in this particular scenario, um, this individual needs to lean on other expertise, um, such as a lab, to accomplish the overall goal of the project. And I think when you really set that foundation up front, it kind of lends nicely to when next steps are being established, it becomes very clear that um, who's going to receive that assignment. And I think, you know, when you're leading and collaborating with others, it's important to check in with them. And just like we do with our direct reports, um, that we make sure that they have the, the tools, the resources that are needed to accomplish that task. I think that's also really important when you're leading committee work, work group work, task force work, whatever it may be, um, that you're checking in and to make sure that you're also setting clear expectations. And again, reminding them what the overall mutual reason is on why you guys are all working together. Usually there's actually always there's a patient behind an initiative on why that committee has come together or that task force. So sometimes those reminders and setting clear expectations um, and doing that in the front end really helps with the delegation piece as uh, you get the work underway. And then Melissa too, if I may add on to that, um, just like you, um, even though I'm not at your level yet, but my role um, as a manager is, is very cross-functional as well. And I think one thing that I have found to be really successful when working with a large groups of folks from different professions is identifying those members of that group or project that you're working on that you need to have their buy-in to move forward and meeting with them before the meeting. Because I think often um, if you know that, all right, I need nursing or in this example, lab has to agree to switch from this sort of monitoring to this. And I know they have all these other things on their plate. You know, they are looking at labs for the entire hospital. This is just maybe small potatoes to them. Maybe they don't see the importance of it. So maybe, you know, meeting with that lab director before the larger meeting with nursing, you know, the providers and just saying, hey, you know, what is your timeline? What do you currently have on your plate? What can I do to make this project successful for you? What do you need from me? And then once you can address all that person's concerns and get their buy-ins before the larger meeting, you should hopefully have an easier discussion with this cross-functional group to say, all right, we have lab on board. Now, maybe before that meeting too, you meet with nursing to see, all right, what education do you need before this? Um, what sort of modules do we need to make? What concerns do your nursing staff have about PTT versus anti-TNA? And if you can address that before the meeting, then you know you already have nursing on board. So by the time you've met with all these individuals prior to the meeting, everyone's on board. So now you're collectively just putting together the project and setting up the steps and the pathway that everyone needs to do and get through to get to the final outcome, which is switching from PTT monitoring team, monitoring to anti-TNA monitoring. And then at that point, you're just following up, you're inspiring, you're setting up meetings to see if folks are meeting their deadlines, but you've already done the work before the meeting, which can be a lot of work. You know, you're just one person, you have five separate meetings before the larger meeting. 
So even though it can be a lot of upfront work for the person leading the project, once that larger committee comes together and they all have an understanding of why they're there, what, what each person's roles are, it's just your job to move the project forward. So that's one of the tactics that I've taken before when meeting, when meeting with such a large group, just meeting with everyone individually if I can, and then bringing us all together and just setting expectations and deadlines and how we can move forward to getting the work done. Yeah, beautiful point. You know, change management 101, right? Consensus building, the importance of the meeting before the meeting. Um, and I know now in the virtual world, we've, we've really lost that, or at least I have. I, I no longer have that ability to show up to a meeting a little bit early and touch base with folks or that hallway conversation. So even now we need to get a little bit creative on having um, the meeting before the meeting, but, but so important. Um, to ensure that everybody's on the same page. And it really does help with the delegation piece. Yeah, the best thing about this tactic too, Melissa, um, I believe I understand residency. I can't forget the book that I was reading, but it was a book about penguins. And they were talking about building some sort of, it wasn't Happy Feet, because that's a movie. I know it was a book about penguins. <laughs> they were talking about building some new ice sculpture. And there was one negative Nancy or negative Fred, I think they called him that came up with every single thing wrong in the book about why the new ice sculpture wouldn't work. So the leader just met with Fred and literally developed a list of all the issues Fred had, which were good points, but wouldn't have been very constructive if brought up during a larger meeting and literally came up with a solution to every single thing. So by the time the meeting happened, Fred was all set, said nothing, and the project was good to go and the ice sculpture got built. So it's also nice to meet with those individuals that um, may be against the project or not really see the purpose and address all their concerns too, prior to the larger discussion as well. That's great. Thank you both for sharing that. One of the themes that I, I sort of heard over and over again as you were both talking was really this, you know, developing a mutual sense of the goal and that everyone on the team has buy-in and really that comes from relationship building. And so, you know, whether you're doing that one-on-one, -on -one, Javon, as you just described, or Melissa going to a meeting early, you know, to get in those little conversations, you know, it's really working to make sure that all individuals on the team feel supported and have the tools that they need to be able to get the job done. Similar to when Melissa was first talking that, you know, you treat it sort of in the same way you would treat a direct report, but they're your peers, but you want to make sure that they have what they need to be able to get the job done. So awesome. Thank you both so much. Those were just so amazing to listen to. But unfortunately, we are at the end. <laughs> and so uh, this is all the time we have today. So I would like to thank Dr. Ortega and Dr. Oliver for joining us to discuss their very effective delegation techniques. And I really appreciate you, you know, peppering them with all your personal experiences. It was wonderful to listen to. I think it was great for our listeners to be able to hear how you have handled some difficult delegation scenarios, some of them very personal how you manage delegation in your own practice, and truly how you have learned to let go. Join us here on Tuesdays, where we will be talking with ASHP members about leadership topics within pharmacy practice. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.